his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by St. Louis Cardinals Baseball. Cardinal tickets are on sale now and start at $55. Details at cardinals.com slash holiday. It's the Chris and Amy Show. Check it out. St. Louis, Mound City, we are going to have a great day today. Now, Amy Marks scores Chris Ranji on KMOX. Let's take it from the top. Well, good morning, friends. It is Amy Marks, Kors, and Chris Ranji on a Tuesday, which I'm still trying to figure out what day it is. Um, I've been thinking it's Monday all day. So uh, glad to have you with us today. 314-436-7900. Calls, text, you know the number. The number to leave us a voicemail at any time of the day, if you wake up at 2 in the morning and have a thought, well, leave it. Uh, 314-944-1120. And we're on social media. The handle's the same for every single platform. It is at Chris Amy KMOX. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. So how is the city of St. Louis actually doing over the last half year in terms of crime and in particular how the St. Louis City Prosecutor's Office is doing? Well, right now, Gabe Gore is addressing the media, giving a report card. We're going to talk to him at 1130 about his findings. And the Supreme Court is looking at Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family to see if they will be protected from any future lawsuits. CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum joins us to give us the update on yesterday's discussion. MLB winter meetings continue in Nashville. We've got our guy Matt Pauley there on site. Mike Claiborne is there as well. We'll talk to uh, Matt today in the 12 o'clock hour, and we'll talk about what Yadier Molina's role with the team is going to be. We know he's going to be helping in some capacity on the coaching staff. We'll just see what that is that has not been addressed just yet. So um, you've got the number to visit with us, 314-436-7900. As I mentioned, Amy, we will be talking with St. Louis County Prosecutor Gabe Gore, who has been on the job since the middle of May. So um, the numbers are out for the six months, or at least he has the numbers for the past six months of what the statistics are, what the crime has looked like, how things are different now, if at all, uh, than when Kim Gardner was in that office. I'm not exactly sure what to expect, and I know that he's uh, he's going to be addressing the media. If it's not happening right this second, it should be soon. Um, so we'll get the update from him. Mm-hmm. But what are you expecting to hear from this? I'm expecting 
Well, first of all, it to be an improvement because uh, unless Gabe Gore just like has been dead for six months, which he's not, uh, that's the only way that he might have a worse record than Kim Gardner. Uh, and in fact, he might, he probably could have a better record. Uh, so yes, you're going to see improvement because there has to be improvement because she was so criminally awful at her job. Uh Gabe Gore, I imagine we'll talk about the hires that they've made. We know they've hired more prosecutors. I think he'll talk about, I expect to see the the progress they've made in catching up on the backlog. Uh, You know, when he took over, I mean, there were over, there was one prosecutor left for over 500 serious felony cases. There were 250 homicides backlogged. There were over 3,000 total backlogged felonies and uh, pending. So you can only imagine how you would begin to sort through all that information. I think it's going to be, here is what we have now. Here are the prosecutors we have working on current cases. And then here is our plan for getting through the backlog. Because people have been charged but they you know and they're in the city jail waiting for their time in court Uh, so yeah i i expect just a plan of action with a lot of work yet to be done i'm i'll be very curious to see what the numbers are and and i i don't know if what he'll present today is just going to be um what their office has done wondering if we're going to get some actual city crime statistics and what they've seen happen since he's taken over, and again, May 16th was the date um, that he was appointed, or was it May 18th, um, 16th, it, right there in the middle of May. And I imagine that if we get actual crime numbers for the city, mm-hmm. based on the report we got in October from the FBI nationwide, where you saw about a 6.1% decrease in violent crime around the country, I would think that St. Louis probably is in line with the rest of the cities we're talking about um, because you, you, you tend to in particular in the larger areas, the larger cities, you tend to see a lot of similarities as far as crime, what the, um, the trends are. There's going to be some variance, but a lot of times nationwide, I think those numbers ring pretty true around the country. So yeah. we'll, I mean, well, I, I, here's what I think. I think the situation in St. Louis in terms of crime is better than the narrative. Because I think all we do is talk about how bad the crime is, and it's a war zone. You can't walk around downtown. And downtown is desolate. That's what I think the problem is. I don't think it's so much uh, the fear of getting mugged. I mean, sure, it can happen, but I'm here a lot. And I live in the city, and I don't personally see it for myself. It's just it's desolate except for homeless people. Um, This morning, driving down Market... There that's, were, a, that's a separate issue. Yeah, there were no cars, but, I mean, there was um, a homeless woman who seemed to be not well. Uh, she was barefoot, and she was just standing in the middle of market, so I drove around her. Uh, so there's that. Yeah, I don't know what he, what information the circuit attorney Gabe Gore will give regarding crime, current crime numbers or if he will be reporting solely on his what the office. office is doing, yeah. When it comes to crime numbers, you always take them with a grain of salt because there have been new police systems. We know that we were going, getting only partial numbers for several years because the police systems hadn't been updated, so they couldn't go to the FBI. We know that there's— And that could be true around the country, we, too, with a lot of cities. No, it is around the country. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Around yeah. the country it wasn't reported well I know in i'm ours, also saying no but i know in our city too we've reclassified homicides 
it's justified versus unjustified. This happened the pe- last year. So what I'm saying is numbers need to be taken. when they. If we get a number, we say, okay, thank you for that number. I'm going to look at everything else surrounding that number, including was that compared to 2020, 2021, 2019? Because we've seen our mayor go to the Washington Post and go to national news sources with these crime is improving numbers when they're false. It's a lie. They well, hadn't been. What, what, and I would say to that, that we can do the same sort of skepticism, point that skepticism towards states like Florida, who like to tout how little crime they have there in cities. But we know that they underreport a lot, too, or at least that's the that's the feeling. So I mean, you can. Yeah, but I guess that's not my point. My point is when we hear across the board, whether in St. Louis or across the country, that crime is going down. I'm skeptical when I see that. I want to see how it's reporting because we know that cities are struggling. We just do. We know they're struggling with crime. Yeah, well, they are, but I'm not sure it's to the extent we think it is. I think it's again, I think it's narrative. And I think that a lot of times and, and all you have to do is follow the election cycle and you can see it for yourself. We only really focus on crime for the months leading up to an election. And then we stop talking about it until the next election. And that is very intentional on the part of people who like to exploit it, who like to say, well, you put me in charge and I'm going to fix the crime. Well, I'm I'm not so sure it's as bad as they like to say it is right before elections happen. Yeah, which is interesting because you could have a Republican president. You can have a Republican governor. We have Mike Parson. It's not going to affect crime in St. Louis because as long as you have uh, more, I, I, I will say with with certain crime policies and more progressive policies. Yeah. I used to think Kim Gardner, I just thought certainly maybe she's an anarchist. Maybe she's just incredibly incompetent. There's no way this is what she wants that just, she just doesn't want anyone to go to jail. That's what she wanted. She just didn't want anyone to go to jail, regardless of what crime you commit. Well, you can't say that state policies have nothing to do with city crime because they absolutely do. We, I mean, gun crime and gun policies absolutely affect cities too, not just rural areas. We know that, but what I'm saying, Governor Parson, yes, could we have stricter gun laws? Yes, that's not necessarily on the governor, that's on the state legislature. And when it comes to crime, there you're going to see differences in cities Towns and states, depending on the local government specifically and the police departments, look at police departments across the state versus in the city of St. Louis. They're paid less. They have 100, 200 now open positions. That's tough. Do we have too lenient of gun laws? Sure, absolutely. Do we have a prosecutor who didn't want anyone to go to jail? Yeah, so you're going to get a really bad mix in the city of St. Louis. Yeah, we just, I think what we need to do and... um we do it, I think, here on this show. I'm not sure that enough people do it, and that is recognize there are multiple factors, and it's not just one thing or one side that contributes to what our crime issues are or are not. I think we we need to acknowledge a bunch of factors that are coming from both sides on this. That's Amy Marks Corps. I'm Chris Ranji. We also have an update on our uh, favorite mode of transportation in St. Louis. It's the loop trolley. It may not be getting used. What? No, that yeah. can't be right. They're, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's because nobody knows it's working? I don't know what it is, man, but that thing is awesome. <sighs> Amy Marks Corps, Chris Ranji on KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. 
Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Amy Marks, Coors, and Chris Ronji on KMOX. Our uh, our favorite what? No, I'm just so excited. I think our boss said we can broadcast live from the trolley. He didn't say no. He didn't say no. You asked if we could do it, and he said, you're not going to get, it's not going to sound good. But that didn't, he didn't, he didn't say, say absolutely no. not. He just said it wouldn't sound good. And honestly, I mean. Well, here's the good news for yeah. us. If we decide we're going to do a uh, a ride. Yeah. On the trolley, yeah. we might be the only people who are on it the entire day. So if we, we do a four-hour show, mm-hmm, three hours, mm-hmm. and then the hour with uh, Glover, actually, we, they could get on, too. There's plenty of room for everybody, I bet. Yeah. So uh, Fox 2 the other day <laughs> uh, looked at Dana, and they looked at... <laughs> it's not funny. Yes, it is, It's super Ron, funny. You have to laugh. They looked at uh, Federal Transit Administration data. Yeah. Um, At all trolley systems across the U.S. Analyzed by the Cato Institute. And they determined that FTA data Mm -hmm. ranked St. Louis dead last Mm. among cities in September 2023 in a metric classified as riders per vehicle hour. Mm -hmm. Which means we have the worst trolley ridership in the entire country. We had two. Two riders per hour. And I think one of those is the driver. (laughs) <laughs> the next close, and by the way, the next closest, the next yeah. worst city was Galveston, Texas. Yeah. They had 9.2 riders per vehicle hour. That's incredible. This trolley, I, I love the idea of a trolley. Mm-hmm. I think they're adorable. I think they should be uh, all over the place. If your roads are big enough, and some of our roads are because they were built for trolleys 100 years ago. Yeah. So it's not like it's crazy, but man, what an an absolute waste of time for everybody. Okay. God bless Joe Edwards and everything that he's he d- done. He did a lot for the loop, man. He did man. a lot for the loop and he just should have stopped. It's like when, when a singer holds a note just a little too long and it goes flat right in the last couple of seconds. That's what Joe Edwards did. He went flat with this. Uh, FTA data also reveals that the average operating cost of the Loop trolley, it was $153 per passenger (laughs) this year, which is the 13th highest of all transit services analyzed and second highest for all rail and streetcar services. Um, We, you, you talk about the sunk cost fallacy. I think we should have paid back 
that federal grant we got, what it was it, $32 million um, for the trolley? Was either 32 or 23? I've been a little dyslexic lately. I've been like flipping things. Uh, I think it was 32 million. And the thing is, we either have a working trolley or we give the federal government that money back. We said, no, 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 we're not going to give it back. We're going to have a working trolley, by golly, uh, putting other businesses in the loop out of business. They had to shutter their doors, making parking an absolute nightmare and creating just absolute havoc for cyclists, pedestrians and scooterists in the loop. Scooterists. Yeah. Here's- First of all, scooters are a scourge themselves. Here's what I want to know. Well, we know it's Joe Edwards. Gosh, I, I don't want to pick on him because he's done so many great things. But here's the thing. There are very few pedestrian-friendly streets in the St. Louis area. Because why? St. Louis is so spread out. It's really, just really, really spread out, all the different areas. We drive. In St. Louis, we drive from one store to the next. But, ah, here's the loop. Here is a great place where you park on one end of the loop and you can walk into each and every store and coffee shop and restaurant and bar and whatever you want. Little artsy gift shops and clothing stores. The one place that you don't need a trolley. And then you make it a two-mile loop from the History Museum to the loop and back. Okay, the History Museum is great. Uh, It does close, what, at five? Yeah. You're not really getting sloshed at a bar in the loop and then going back to the history museum. The route made no sense. It was the most worthless route. This thing was doomed from the beginning and how there wasn't more oversight. Cause we keep, you know, you can't just blame one person. Who are the, who are the other advisors saying, you know, maybe this two mile loop from the history museum around the actual Delmar loop isn't the best because a, everybody can walk it and b who's going to the history museum every day. You know what it is? I think the idea behind the trolley was not function. I think it was completely aesthetic. There was this feeling that St. Louis used to be that kind of city. And maybe there's nostalgia is not the right word because nobody was alive when the trolleys were a thing, right? Um, when they were a primary of, yeah, mode of transportation. But yeah. it's 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 sort of like a time capsule, like going back in time. And that's the idea behind it. It's strictly aesthetic. The problem is that where they decided to do it, it just doesn't fit the street. It, it it could fit the neighborhood if it were to go farther. Like if it were if, if it were to go all the way to downtown, for mm-hmm. example. And that's really what it should have been. If we're gonna do something like that, it should probably be a thing that goes all the way from the the heart of downtown, all the way up Forest Park Boulevard, it, that that uh, plaisance in the middle there. Um, and gone all the way up that direction, maybe through the park, and then to Del Mar. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's go all out instead of half-assing something. It just it just feels like that's what we did with this, is sort of, it's a half-assed thing that is very non-functional, and I don't, clearly nobody's writing it. Who, and that's, and to your point, that it's not functional, it was purely aesthetic, and it was a half-hearted effort. The number that I threw out, it was not $32 million. It was $37 million in federal funding, which, by the way, yes, has made national news over the past couple of years because it's such a joke and such a waste. And here we are going, we need money. The city of St. Louis needs money. We need uh, our trash picked up. We need the streets fixed. We need 911 dispatchers. We need to fix blighted areas. And instead, the one area that's pretty hopping, we put a useless, worthless 
functionless, impractical, obtrusive trolley that costs $37 million. That is just very St. Louis. Cato Institute says this, quote, St. Louis's experience should be a cautionary tale for other cities that are considering streetcars, mm-hmm. light rail systems, or other rail-based transit projects. These systems all require relatively large fixed investments that often do not pay off when expected ridership fails to pay off. The So what they're basically saying is, if you're going to do it, go all out. And then if you attract people, it will pay for itself. But you have to attract people. And the way you attract people is to make it functional. Because nobody's going to go from, you know, way out western suburbs and say, hey, let's go, let's go ride that trolley around the block. A trolley to nowhere. No one's going to do that. No one. I live right there. I don't use the trolley. I would do it out of curiosity once. But I don't know, man. And the tracks hey. are in the way. It's awful. They really what a are. disaster. You should care about the farm bill, Amy. Yep. Everybody should care about the farm bill because it pertains to our food. We're going to talk about that when we come back on KMOX. Amy Marks, Kors, and Chris Ranji on KMOX. Uh, farm bill expired back in September, and there is an effort to get another one completed, get it uh, finished, and to talk about that with us and why it matters to you. We go to the Quiver River Electric guest line this morning. Joby Young is the executive vice president of the American Farm Bureau Federation and uh, joins us now on KMOX. Joby, we appreciate your time. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Chris and Amy. Great to be with you, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, absolutely. And, again, the first thing is, um, why does this farm bill matter? Because you hear farm bill, uh, okay, why that doesn't have anything to do with me, but it kind of does because we all eat, don't we? So why why does this farm bill matter, matter before we get to the uh, to the current status of it? Yeah, you're exactly right. We do all eat, and a lot of times we call it the food and farm bill because it's it's really the, the principal piece of federal policy that affects the United States food supply. And, uh, you know, that extends beyond our agriculture industry, beyond farmers. So you're right. A lot of people think that, it, that it's about farming. Uh, maybe only matters to farmers, but it really matters to everybody because, because it, uh, it affects the whole food supply chain. And when we go to the grocery store or go to a restaurant, uh, that, that's partly in, uh, as a result of the farm bill. Well, let's just um, lay it out 101. What exactly is in the Farm Bill? Well, the Farm Bill is a, bit, uh, a, a broad piece of legislation, and it, it's developed over the years to really cover the entire uh, food supply chain. So, of course, it has what a lot of people that, that are familiar with it think about in terms of, of farm programs that are important to, to farmers and ranchers across the country and uh, in, in terms of risk management programs and conservation programs and things like that. But it also has other things that people don't always think about uh, if, if they're not familiar with it, like uh, our nutrition programs that, uh, that uh, folks will take advantage of that, that are in times of need across the, across the country. It involves things like agricultural research that helps us continue to innovate and, and, and can feed a growing uh, population uh, into the future. Uh, and then another big piece would be rural development uh, aspects. And so we have a, uh, a lot of programs in there that, that help uh, uh, pr- uh, provide resources and, and opportunity to rural communities uh, across the country to, to grow and thrive there, too. So a lot, a lot goes into the Farm Bill. There are various forms of Farm Bills that have been passed going back almost uh, 100 years. What, 
what sort of authority does this give the USDA? Sure. Well, the USDA, uh, uh, 29 agencies that cover the entire food supply chain, everything from um, from rural development, like I mentioned, to farm programs, conservation programs, administering uh, the SNAP program, which some people are familiar with is, is food stamps. And so all of these programs are rolled in the farm bill. And, and so it, it gives the authority and sort of the direction to the USDA of, of what the what the Congress uh, how they want to spend uh, money, how they want programs to be administered, what the priorities are for those programs, uh, uh, what restrictions they're putting on them, and directions like that. So when a farm bill is passed, uh, the USDA Secretary of Agriculture goes out, and all those agency heads and the people that work at USDA go and administer that in various ways across those areas I mentioned. When you're looking at a, a bill like this, obviously there are a lot of uh, titles within it, a lot of uh, different aspects how much consensus is there, like, from farmers, I should say, with how the farm bill is actually put together, whether it's the way subsidies work, uh, the way other uh, parts of the bill are meant, the, the programs are meant to assist farmers? Is there a lot of consensus? Is there always a lot of debate within the community about that? Well, uh, I'd say the uh, two, two parts of that answer. There, there is broad consensus uh, about uh, what's important in the farm bill for farmers and ranchers. And those are those are things like risk management, sort of number one, when you think about things like uh, crop insurance and, and, and farm programs. And that's a big piece of the farm bill, and that's something that's really important to the farm and ranching community. Historically, risk management, because because farming is an extremely risky business compared to so many other things uh, that you can be involved in when you think about uh, weather and global commodity price swings and all these other things that affect farmers that most of us don't don't think about uh, when we get up and go to work every morning. Uh, and, and then uh, uh, it's even more uh, uh, important in, in the last few years. We've all seen COVID and the pandemic and all the, you know, inflation and, and uh, the war in Ukraine and how that affected global commodity markets. So a lot of uh, uncertainty out there that is, is really new and fresh. And, and, and so that's important to farmers and a lot of consistent, uh, consensus around that. But then also, I think that's something that a lot more uh, folks that aren't involved in farming are, are more uh, aware of, you know, when, they, when they've seen what happened in the grocery store shelves in the last few years and other things. So a lot of consensus around those things. The, the second piece I'd, I'd mention, amongst others, is around, uh, around conservation. And, and, you know, that's been an important part in the farming community uh, for years and, and increasingly in the public. Uh, wanting to keep te- uh, having the momentum we've had over years to have better and better sustainability outcomes, and that's been accomplished through the the approach we've taken in the farm bill, and and we hope to have that can uh, uh, extend into the future as well. So uh, that's a big consensus that you see, and of course there's always you know little aspects here and there, regional priorities and things that have to be sorted out, but but those conversations always happen, and you and you always work towards and have a good farm bill at the end of the day. Joe B. Young with the American Farm Bureau Federation visiting with us on KMOX. You mentioned SNAP being part of this uh, bill historically. Also uh, concerns about climate as it uh, pertains to farmers because it is such a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of volatility there. So it can absolutely affect uh, their income, a farmer's individual income. What sort of uh, of pushback are you seeing on uh, portions of the bill like that, stuff that pertains to SNAP, to climate. We know there is some pushback against that. How how severe is it, though? 
Well, there's always a debate around nutrition programs, every farm bill, uh, and that's that's uh, historically been true. And I, you know, I think it'll be true in the, in the conversation about this uh, uh, upcoming farm bill. Uh, you know, f- folks making sure that, that policymakers, members of Congress, are dialing in the right way about how those programs are administered and the right uh, the right accountability measures and, and things like that that are put in. And, and those conversations will happen. And and that that's pre- that's common, and that's something that's to be expected. And we want our policymakers to have a robust. Uh, uh, thoughtful conversation about that. Uh, when it comes to climate and sustainability, uh, that's something that, like I mentioned, there's been conservation programs in the Farm Bill for years, and it, but that is something that the public is is more and more interested in uh, about um, about what's going on in agriculture in that space. And there's really a great story to tell. A lot of of uh, of, of of advancements have been made over there. It's got 140 million acres in conservation. Uh, enrolled in conservation around the country, and uh, uh, that's a that's a great story to tell. Uh, agriculture has reduced the amount of acreage uh, that is, is is utilized in agriculture over the years, and since the 1940s, agricultural out, output has gone up 175 percent. So you have something uh, like corn, for instance, a lot of corn acres in Missouri and southern Illinois. Uh, you know, you're you're growing significantly amount more corn on on fewer acres over the years. So that's a great story to tell, and something that there's always discussion about how we can do better. And farmers and ranchers are bar, a part of that discussion. Always want to be a part of that and uh, have a great story to tell. And we we hope to uh, see good results in the future as well. And this is a question that I have, just looking at different data points and studies and uh, looking at subsidies for farms and how a lot of really big, uh, successful farms get a lot of those subsidies. And maybe it's not that the subsidies are going primarily to smaller farms. Is that purposeful? Is that something that, well, that's the way it's worked out. We're trying to fix that. I just looking at that number, I don't know how what that means for farmers other than a lot of uh, the subsidies are going to bigger farms. Uh, well, there's across the country. There's farms of of all sizes. We need them all. They all uh, have a special, uh, you know, particular pot, uh, part in the food supply chain. And uh, at the end of the day, it's about risk management and uh, uh, farm programs, crop insurance programs. Those things are are important. Uh, you know, no matter what size you are, and there's different tools, uh, you know, uh, available to different uh, size farmers. And at the end of the day, it's about uh, making sure that we have those risk management tools in place so that the folks that are growing our food, no matter their size or what region of the country they're in, that they're able to appropriately uh, manage their risk and have a, have a secure food supply. We, we enjoy the, uh, the, the most secure and, and affordable food supply in, in, in the world in the United States, and, and those risk management programs have been a, have been a big part of that. Now, there's always a conversation, I think, about, uh, about what those look like every farm bill. Uh, we at Farm Bureau, we all we uh, we we represent uh, farmers across the board. About 65% of our our uh, members that make up our policy, that vote and create our policy, are are small and medium sized, and and they uh, and they prioritize having those risk management tools uh, just like everyone else. Um, last thing for you before we say goodbye, Joby, and and we mentioned that this has been going on for almost a hundred years. There have been farm bills over that time. How confident are you we're going to get something done here uh, relatively soon? Uh, I'm confident uh, that 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 uh, it'll be a priority of the of the Congress, and 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 we'll we'll make its way into the into the legislative calendar. Obviously, a lot going on right now in Washington D.C. in terms of government funding uh, debates, and, and there's been some recent leadership changes. The the great thing that that we're really uh, that we're, we're really positive about is that new speaker came in. 
he, on his initial list of his priorities, put the Farm Bill right there at the top. Uh, we have some really great, uh, we have some really great leaders in the agriculture committees that are really pushing for the Farm Bill. So we feel really positive about it. And then, and then the last thing is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Farm Bill is something that's on the radar of a lot more uh, folks outside of the agriculture committees. Uh, you know, given the events of the last few years, so a lot more people are calling and they're asking their uh, representatives and their congressmen and their senators about the Farm Bill and saying, hey, this matters. This matters, to, you know, no matter who you are, whatever walk of life you're in, uh, because we want to maintain that, that secure food supply and have that affordable food supply for, for years in the future, because it's really about the future. It's about what, what's happening uh, on that landscape the uh, next five or ten years, and we want to maintain that. Joe B., wishing you the best in this. Thank you for, for taking the time to talk with us today. We do appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me. Joby Young, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, with us here on KMOX. When we come back, did you see this? That's next. Did you see this exploding house in Virginia? I didn't see it. I heard about it. Wow. What happened uh, so, in Arlington, right? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, just a few miles from Washington, D.C. Which uh, always makes it extra scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when it's close to the Capitol, you're always extra scared. So uh, Arlington, well, I'm, I'm sure because people for miles around could hear the explosion. Yep. They heard it uh, near the, I think, White House even. So Arlington police went to a call because some guy from inside a house was firing a flare gun into yeah. the neighborhood. So they went to confront him. They get there. And apparently, according to people who were witnesses, shots were fired from inside the house. And the next thing you know, the place just blows up. Yeah. And it wasn't like, it was like a movie explosion. And they don't really know. They have not been, unless it's happened in the last uh, 15 minutes mm-hmm. or a half hour or whatever. Um, don't know. They have not confirmed whether or not the guy is dead. But they believe he was inside and has to be dead. Yeah. What in the world, man? I mean, and that type of explosion, the only thing you can think of, well, firing flares is crazy. But did he have a a gas leak that he created on purpose? That you was know, a, knowing yes. that he could fire flares into a house that had a gas leak and that it would absolutely go off like a bomb. I mean, I'm looking at it now. It looks like a gas leak because when you have a gas leak like that, your walls fill up with gas. Yeah. Um, I know this because it happened to my grandparents' house. <laughs> um, the, and it blew the roof off of their house. Their entire roof lifted up off the house, and that was after a short gas leak. So if you have enough time where there is a gas leak and the walls are filling up and you're firing flares, you're going to get a massive explosion. This is like the f- second or third giant house explosion in the last two months. Was the other one Pennsylvania? I rem- you remember that one? Oh. It was in the middle of the day, yeah. and it just was splinters everywhere. Wow. It's crazy. Okay. Uh, yesterday, Time Magazine released the finalist for its Person of the Year, Ranch, and that will be announced tomorrow. I can give you... Um, Five finalists. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna How many you, finalists are there? There are five. Oh, there are five total? Yes. Okay. Um, but I'm going to give you six names. And right. you tell me which one is not a finalist. So five of these are a finalist. Okay. The Hollywood Strikers, Elon Musk, Jerome Powell, Barbie, Taylor Swift, and Sam Altman. One of those is not a finalist. I can say um, it again if you want. Uh, okay. What was the like Kay. one right in the middle? 
One of these is not a yeah. finalist. What was the the one rest of are. Well, Hollywood Strikers, Elon Musk, Jerome Powell, Barbie, Taylor Swift, and Sam Altman. Jerome Powell. He is a finalist. Okay. Elon Musk is not the finalist. Oh. Isn't that refreshing? Yeah, I know. You can be a miserable person, just an awful person, and still well, be a time person we of the talk year. talk about this because Hitler. Hitler was. Yeah, and Stalin a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Or was it Hitler a couple of times? I don't know. Which, again. It doesn't mean great person of the year. It, it just means it, consequential. It does mean consequential, but I guess subconsciously the title person of the year has positive connotations. Yeah. Because it feels really weird saying, oh, Pol Pot. He's the person of the year. You feel, eh. I think because it is, when it happens to a good person, everyone's excited. It's considered an honor. Do you know what I mean? And if, if we're going to say, oh, it doesn't mean good, give it to Hitler or Stalin, then we need to tell the good people, hey, this is not an honor. This just means. This just means we see you. We see you. We see all yeah. the garbage because you're doing. Because if it's an honor for George W. Bush, I don't think he was. If it's an honor for whoever it is, I don't, whoever is the person of the year. If it's an honor for them, why is it not an honor for the dictators? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Right. We just have to stop looking at it as it's an honor because it, it if, isn't. If, it's a recognition that, hey, we, we're aware of all the stuff I you've mean, done this past year. Listen. When would you want to be on the same list as Stalin and Hitler? You know what I mean? Oh, you would I've not. I said that no. twice. Sorry. You yeah, do know no. what I mean. But you wouldn't. Like, I would say Ranj. It's not an honor that you're person of the year. Have you looked at that list? I would like to be on it, though, still. Uh, listen, Grand Theft Auto 6 is not available for like another year. So you're going to have to come up with a better gift idea and something educational. Well, we have some of those ideas for you next on KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.